This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursdays of each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. This podcast is sponsored by Harrington Interactive Media. We create quality media products like this podcast and we help you market them. One product we make is high quality eBooks, which are great for generating leads. Check out some examples of eBooks we've produced and hire us to edit, design, and format your company's next eBook. Go to harringtoninteractive.com. In this episode, Hal Haddon shares his talk called Loving Jesus. It's one from the archives recorded on October 4th, 2018. Good to be here with you guys this morning. It's good to hear the conversations around the room. Wes is somewhere in either Italy or Greece this morning. Uh, Larry's in New York, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you guys. I will be passing around a pad. If you're here for the first time or don't get our emails, we send out a couple each month. Just put your name and email address on here. We'd love to send you those as well. We are so glad this morning to have Hal come and share with us today. Uh, I'm sure for most of you, you know Hal. He's here pretty much every Thursday we're together. Uh, He's been around Nashville for 35 years. Uh, Many of you have been impacted over the years by CLC. uh, And Hal's going to come this morning and kind of share his story and a little bit about that ministry and what he's doing now. Hal, come on up and be with us. Keep your seat. Keep your seat. <laughs> Appreciate that standing ovation, and uh, that was good. Good to be here. <laughs> you like that, Clayton? That's good. Uh, I-, I love things like this where men come together and laugh and uh, share life together, break wind, whatever you do. We when we get together, and uh, that that's part of being man men standing together, and. Uh, and I, I'm kind of a player coach. I like to sit over here by Ed. He keeps me in line. And, uh, and I'm thankful when I get to share from time to time. But uh, notice we didn't pray. And uh, Tom, that's part of the agenda. But uh, Isaiah, would you come up and commit our time to the Lord, please? My good buddy, Isaiah Hughes. Let's give Isaiah a hand. <laughs> Praise God. This is a day the Lord has made. And let us rejoice and be glad in it. Father God, we give you praise and honor today. We lift your name up for your name is above every name. We come before you with thanksgiving and praise. Lord, we thank you for giving us safe arrival here today. In the name of Jesus, we don't take it for granted, Lord. We praise you and we magnify you. Father God, we ask you to anoint how today as you bring forth your word. We come against every demonic force that's been arrayed against us. We thank you, Lord, for your healing power, for your delivering power. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. We do magnify you and we glorify your name. Father God, we ask you to move in this place today in the name of Jesus. Let us not leave like we came in Jesus' name. We praise and we 
magnify you for you're so good and you're so great. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing right now. Now let this atmosphere be electrified with your presence, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we praise you, we magnify you, and we glorify you. For you said you inhabit the praises of your children. So therefore, Lord, break us up and let us begin to praise and magnify you because you're great and greatly to be praised. You said, Father God, that you'll move in the midst of your people. And we thank you today for this time, God, that you're going to move in this service. And we give you praise, honor, and glory. And we'll tell everyone you did it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray and give you thanks. Amen. So we have uh, officially been prayed for. So uh, he, uh, the devil was was horrified through that, and uh, he God glorified the dare, but horrified in us what edified. There you go. So that was good. But Isaiah, uh, for many years, was the uh, I call him the DP, the designated prayer, is what along with David Crane down at the meeting at Darrell Waltrip. So uh, great to see you, Isaiah. I was impressed you got up on the stage. He's had hip replacements, knee, whatever, and uh, but you notice I stepped back, and uh, he, I, he, I thought he was going to be raptured there for a second. And uh, so anyway, thanks, thanks for coming this morning. Uh, I do like men coming and connecting together, and my career has been about men. And uh, I know men in different places, and, uh, and I just think I did my career. I'm retired now. I was uh, 36 years with CLC, as you mentioned, and I'll tell you more about that in a second. But it, there's something, I mean, you think of Jonathan and David coming together as friends, and, uh, and so present day we have all kinds of friends like that. But the Lone Ranger and Tonto, you know, they are good friends. They hung out together, and I thought I'd read you a little bit about them. The Lone Ranger and Tonto went camping out in the desert one day, and after they got their tent set up, they, they fell asleep. And some hours later, Tonto wakes up and, and uh, wakes the Lone Ranger, and he says, uh, Kimisabe, look towards the sky. What do you see? And the Lone Ranger kind of looked up, up a little bit and replied, I see millions of stars. What does it tell you, asked Tonto? The Lone Ranger pondered for a few minutes, and then he said, well, astronomically speaking, it tells me there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. And astrologically, it tells me Saturn's in Leo. And time-wise, it appears to be approximately a quarter past three in the morning. And theologically, it's evidence that the Lord is all-powerful, and we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, tells me we have a beautiful day coming tomorrow. Tonto, what, what does that tell you? Tonto's silent for a few minutes. He said, Kimisabi, you dumbass, it tells me somebody stole her tent. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, that's... Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, so Bob Searcy and I were tent mates. I was telling somebody about that earlier. We went fishing in uh, Canada on the Boundary Waters, and we had a two-man tent that was big enough for one, and uh, it was pretty crowded, but we battled mosquitoes and so forth. But uh, Wes and Larry asked me if I would just share my story. So I'm going to share my story for half the time, approximately half the time. And then he said, share what you're doing now. You're, you're 
on the board of CLC, but what are you doing now? Have you just sat home, watched ball games, and that sort of thing? So I'm going to do both of those, but I'm going to go back to when I was in a family. I had four, four of us with siblings, and I had two older brothers and, uh, and a younger sister, and I always felt like I was in the shadow of Joe and Morris. They, they were a little stronger. They were a little... Uh, more mature, they did whatever, and I was kind of in their shadows. And uh, I'd go to class and teachers would say, oh, you're Joe's brother. Well, I didn't know quite what that meant, whether it's good or bad, and, uh, and it put pressure on me. And then my sister came along about three and a half years after I was born, and you would think my parents took a photography course, because there were pictures of her. Every time she moved, they took a picture. Literally today, you, you have to look hard to find a picture of me. And that kind of hurts, frankly. So. Uh, but I did feel like I was kind of in their shadows. And I grew up from about sixth grade to 11th grade in Gallatin, Gallatin Green Wave. Tried to play a little football there. I proved that uh, practice is not perfect because I didn't get to play a whole lot. And, uh, but, but I was a hell raiser. And, uh, and I tell people that, generally speaking, I lettered all four years in hell raising. And, uh, and one thing I did with teachers, uh, we all give teachers trouble, but one day we did some things to a teacher, a male teacher, and he quit teaching the next day. So not very proud of that. And, uh, and, and Stuart, I hate to say this, I did things to, to black people. And I don't tell any of those stories, but that was part of my getting recognition and doing things that uh, were very ungodly, and I'm ashamed of those things today, but that, that God used those in my life. And then at the end of the 11th grade, my dad was with Tennessee TVA, and we moved to Knoxville. And I hated moving. I was hoping to play a little football, had a girlfriend, so forth. Moved up to Knoxville and uh, fish out of water and very uncomfortable. And I remember a fellow came out to my high school and he hung out at the smoking pit and he learned my name. And I thought, that's pretty cool. He knows my name and he knew my friends' names and that sort of thing. And he was a big guy. And I thought that was pretty cool. And about three or four weeks later, somebody invited me to a Young Life Club. Said girls there and so forth. And so I go. And, uh, and there's this guy, Charlie Scott. He has his orange and white letter jacket on. He was about one year out of the University of Tennessee playing basketball. And I thought, wow, this guy's here. And he was talking about Jesus. And I kind of looked at everybody followed Jesus, old ladies with red hair, and that, or blue hair, not red hair, and, uh, and thought that was kind of the norm. But to see him walking with Jesus, and then he recruited me right after high school to go to a young life camp in Colorado near Buena Vista. And he told there would be all kinds of adventure riding horses, rapids, uh, uh, snow slides, gravel slides, and I love the adventure, love girls, so I thought that would be a, a great place to go. And when I got out there, the, the speaker talked about how God loved us. And uh, I'd, I'd been in church, but I, I don't think I ever knew or heard that God loved me. And then I began to think of the things I'd done to fellow students, I did some bullying, and, uh, and then I mentioned the other things I did, and that he knew me and he loved me. I had a hard time comprehending that God would love somebody that had done the things I'd done. And a little later in the week, the fellow that was speaking 
uh, went to the Gospels, and he shared how Christ loved me so much and everybody there and you so much that he died for us. And he told how he was uh, betrayed and how he was whipped and how he had a crown of thorns and hung on a cross. And and I couldn't believe he'd love me that way. And, I, and afterwards, he finished speaking. He said, I want you to go out about 10 or 15 or 20 minutes and... Um, and just spend a little bit of time between you and God and think about what he did for you. And so I went out and there was an empty cabin and uh, I sat on the steps of that empty cabin and I thought about how God loved me. And I said, God, if you love me that much, I wanna love you back and I committed my life to Christ. And my life literally took a 180 degree turn and it was a radical change. And uh, fortunately, I got to stay on what's called work crew. It started Rance Neal, and I was talking about that. And I got stronger in the Lord before I went back to face my buddies. And then a few months later, I enrolled at the University of Tennessee as a freshman and pledged SAE fraternity. But I was a, I was a very dedicated Christian. I, I love Jesus. I wanted to walk with him. I want to stand with him. And when I got in college, I was in pre-med, of all things, and... Um, and as I started studying, I realized that I couldn't do it. My first quarter, I made a point .9. And, uh, and that's, that's a D, basically. And, uh, and so I was glad I scratched. But, uh, but my, my, my background, the hell raising, actually caught up with me. I, I read on a sixth grade level when I finished high school. And so going to college, my brothers did it and friends did it, but, but I didn't have the academic background. And so I did that the first quarter and I worked hard, I did a little better. And then after two years, they asked me to continue my higher education at a lower institution. <laughs> and uh, so uh, you know what that means, don't you? That I, I flunked out. Well, I need to tell you, it's, it's funny now, but back then as a 20, year old, it was devastating. It, I mean, some of us have flunked out before. Would you raise, no, don't raise your hand. But, uh, but not only did I fail and felt like a failure, I felt like a loser. I had a lot of shame. Guilt says I did a bad thing. Shame says I'm a bad person. And I felt it was so devastating, I cannot explain it to you. In fact, preparing for this, I thought about it, and I thought, you know, why was that such a big deal? Well, today it's not such a big deal, but back then it really hit me. I remember lying in my bed just devastated over this. And then, that's about in May, I went back to Colorado, and I was a lifeguard for three months, and I was thinking, what am I going to do now? Uh, I'm not in school, I don't know what I'm going to do, and I ended up going with some guys out to California for a number of months, and again, lost in high weeds, and, and when I was out there, I began to think through all of this, and I remember I had two teachers that told me how you'd never go to college. Now, I gave them every reason in the world to believe that, but to me, they could have said you had potential or something, <laughs> you know, they, they should have lied to, to anything, to, but, but those old tapes began to come back to me and say I was a loser and a and a failure, and, and you know what I did with that? I took that and stuffed it for 17 years. I, I didn't want anybody to know that, and so I covered up, and so I think 
that's a little bit of a tendency with men is we, we cover up and we, we hide what's really down there, and that's the value. I think even being in groups much smaller than this where you get together and sometimes you can close the door and say, let me tell you what's really going on with me, that, that I'm dealing with pornography or I'm dealing with whatever. We need men need that kind of relationship where we can share heart, know we're accepted unconditionally. And uh, so anyway, eventually I got accepted Memphis State University and I did graduate in the physical science, chemistry, physics, and biology, and that sort of thing. And I did Young Life for 10 years, and I had a, had a good career in Young Life. And then I began to realize that I was getting too old for teenagers. And, uh, and so I began to say, Lord, what do I do now? And I clearly felt like God had said, how I've called you to ministry for life. Frankly, I was a little embarrassed that I was doing ministry. Brothers were doing lawyer, dentist, friends were doing whatever, and I was a minister. So I said, well, I'm going to do this for two years. But the Lord said, Hal, I've called you to do this for the rest of your life, your career. So that meant going to seminary, and frankly, that scared me to death because in the sciences, you don't read books and write papers. In seminary, you read books and write papers. And again, I read on a sixth grade level. So it was, it was like, wow, God, you've got to be calling me and I'd probably increase to seventh grade by then. And uh, you, if you call me to do this, I'm going to do it. And frankly, in, in seminary, I loved it. I loved studying the scripture. I think I graduated with about an A minus average. It was a real fit. But about the time graduation came along, a great fear came over me and anxiety. And, uh, and I began to think, uh, what if I get out there and fail? Because my life had been spent avoiding failure, and now I'm going to be put in a place where I may fail. And this great fear came over me. And so, again, I stuffed it. I said, get, get, you know, push that down like a banana. I keep pushing it in your hand. It comes out over here. And, and finally, I said, I'm going to go for counseling. And when I went for counseling, the, the counselor, after a number of times, began to hone in on this flunking out of college that I'd stuffed and denied for so long. And even like with reading, I remember used to, I'd be called on to read. My greatest fear was to read out loud. <laughs> greatest fear. And I met other guys had that great fear. I would lose glasses that I didn't own so I could avoid that embarrassment. Again, shame that came along with that. But he took me back to when I flunked out and how that became my self-image in the way I viewed myself as a failure and a loser and somebody that was not that good. And, and I saw everything through the eyes of covering that up, and that's, that's who I am. So he helped me begin to unpack that. And then eventually I felt called to come to Nashville in 1979 and to start a ministry I'd never done before. Nobody invited me. I had $850 a month support, three kids and a wife. One kid was nursing, and that's a picture of stupidity, but also a picture of obedience. And God called me here. And it wasn't long before I ran into the Young Life guys and maybe a year into it, they asked me if I would share my story at a fundraiser. And we are all been to fundraisers. And so I shared my five-minute story, and they had the regular speaker. And I said, for the first time, I'm going to tell the real Hal Haddon. I'd always shared my story. I'd share the comfortable part, but I wouldn't share the shame part. And so up front of 300 people or so, I said, this is who I am. 
and you know what it was like? It's like a 500-pound pack came off of my back that I'd been carrying around. And the counseling started it, but this took it to another step to say, hey, I can be real. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to fake it. What you see is what you get, and so that was powerful. But the process was not complete yet, and it's still in process. But as I began to look in Scripture, I began to see some truth there that I hadn't seen with 10 years of Young Life staff. I was in Knoxville for a couple of times. I was in the island of Bermuda, suffering for the Lord there. And uh, so 10 years of doing Young Life, three years of seminary, and only about two years after that did I begin to see some things from Scripture. And that's what God said about me. What did God say about me? I love the verses in Romans 8, he said, said, you're not slaves, but you're sons. Anyone who received Christ there become a child of God. Another place talks about a royal priesthood, saints. And so I began to see verses that told me who I was, who, who God said I was. So I began to shift from operating as a failure to operating as a son of God, to walk with him, and that was a radical, radical change in my life. And not too long after that, I decided to enroll in, in Vanderbilt. And, uh, and somebody said, is Vanderbilt as liberal as, as they say? And I said, no, it's more liberal. And, um, and so I enrolled there, it was a good experience, and, and I did get a doctor's degree in counseling. And I think, I may be wrong, but I think the only guy in the state of Tennessee that flunked out of UT and has a doctorate from Vanderbilt. <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's my claim to fame. So, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, one thing that is pretty cool, I, I remember when I was a student at, uh, I told this last time, when I was a student at UT, we won the football games, homecoming, we drove over to Vanderbilt, and threw, went to the dorm and threw firecrackers up in the dorm rooms. You know what they did? They lit them and threw them back, and uh, so that, that was good. And uh, so, uh, but but you know, I can honestly say this on a scale of one to ten, and ten being the highest, my doctorate from Vanderbilt is at best a one. At best, it means almost nothing to me, and it does mean something. It's accomplishment, and so forth, but. It, I don't put a lot of weight on that. And actually, my book, I'm going to mention in a little bit, when it was at Logos Bookstore, the biggest comment people got, the, the Ken, he said, I, I didn't know he had a doctor's degree. Well, that's a sign it's not that big a deal. But you know what's a 10 in my life? Flunking out of UT. The part that was so painful and so shameful is a 10. And you say, why is that? Well, it showed me who I am, that, that I, we, are, we, we are failures in a lot of ways. And uh, we are weak in a lot of ways, and we don't like to admit that as men, but to accept that that's, that's, what, that's my history, that's part of me. But the other thing it showed me about God, that God can take a, a broken person and he can work through them greatly. Who was it, Jacob, who wrestled with God and walked with a limp, and God used him greatly? Our limp, our brokenness becomes the thing God says, I want to use greatly for the kingdom. And so truly it is a, uh, a 10 in my life. 
And, uh, and so what did I do with that? After moving to Nashville and started that ministry, one day I invited 25 men to have lunch with me. And David Lowy, you were one of those guys. And I said, guys, I'm putting together this discipleship leadership experience, and it's going to be a two-year commitment, and it's going to meet from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. It's going to have homework, and we're going to study some contemporary Christian books, and I will probably cover these topics, and I'll be one week ahead of you in preparation. And my hope was that four guys would be dumb enough to follow me. You know how many said signed up for that? 18. So I started two groups that showed me that uh, men want to grow, they want to become disciples and walk with Christ so that they can be the men of God and where they work, live, and play. And that was pretty good. I'm wondering how many here have been in a CLC group? So way to go. Thank you. Thank you for stepping up and being a part of that. In Middle Tennessee, there's been about uh, 16 or 1,700, and it's not very marketable, by the way. <laughs> Two years, 6 a.m. doesn't sound very marketable. And then we have CLC in about 120 cities in 25 states and Vancouver. And so it shows that God can take a broken person and work through him, and he gets the glory for what he's doing. And then about... 12 or 15 years ago, we started the women's division. It's broken off to its own organization called Becoming Like Christ. And, uh, and then one of the real blessings that I've had is uh, one day, I, I'm going to tell, tell this little story. One, one day I had a buddy of mine that was in that first CLC group with David, a guy named Hank, and he called me and he said that uh, one of my fraternity brothers from UT called me this morning on Sunday morning and said he had picked up a prostitute last night. And my buddy said, I met with him, but I didn't know how to handle that. And so I met with the guy and we were able to help direct him to a personal walk with Jesus. And, uh, and I wanted to follow up with him. So I, I said, he had a little business here in Franklin. And I said, let's get some guys and let's start some, a 10-week study on what the Bible says about business. And I wanted to disciple him because he wouldn't go to church and uh, maybe had shame. I just thought about that right now. But, uh, but I began to network around. One day I invited a few guys, a guy named Leonard Isaacs we were talking about that, uh, a minute ago. And we said, what about doing something like that for 10 weeks? And Leonard Isaacs said, well, I know Daryl Waltrip. We could do it at his house. And so we started that 10-week study on what the Bible says about business, and we've been going for 33 years with about 60 guys. And uh, over the years, there's probably been 2,000 guys that have come through there, maybe more. But again, all this to say, thank you, Lord, that you would use a guy that, uh, that was lost in high weeds and uh, for your glory and your kingdom. And I, I really do, do praise him for that. And so a little bit on, on, on where I am today is that I really believe that my number one desire is to love Jesus and to walk with him, love him with all my heart and mind and soul. And uh, in, 
and humbly I would say that I think right now I have more of a passion for Christ than any time in my life. And I'm saying not just today, but uh, the last few years that to walk with Jesus, that, that my life is really about him. And th then I really desire to love my wife well. And, uh, and, and, and we, we've been married for 50 years as of two months ago. And to love her well and our, uh, thank you. And, uh, and we have three kids, three uh, sons-in-law, three daughters, three sons-in-law, and five grandkids. And about two days ago, three days ago, I emailed Larry and I said, do you by any chance have the recording of what I did five years ago here? And that's what they, they sent me an email and said, it's been five years since you shared your story. Would you come share it again? And uh, so I said, do you have that recording? And he sent it to me and I sent it to my three daughters, my wife, and my 18-year-old grand twins. And I said, someday you may want to hear my story. And uh, the next morning, I get a text from my grandson. And before I tell you the text, uh, my granddaughter is going to graduate this year, and she's a merit scholar. And her brother's very smart as well, but he has anxiety. And he's been out of school for two years tough, tough deal. But I get a text from him and he says, Granddaddy, he, he said, God is using your story to help me deal with my, and I'm not going to share his confidential stuff, but he shared some stuff, not failure, but you can kind of picture there. And so my hope is my story will be used in your life and as in my family. So think of, do you have a story? Do you have an impact? And so, but anyway, off track a little bit to love Jesus, to love my wife and family. But to even ask what we're doing, two days ago I visited my buddy Lamont. We met in college. And Lamont had a stroke two and a half years ago. And he's flat of his back. And, uh, and Lamont says my ministry is to the 16 people that take care of me some of them changed my bed, so to speak. And he said, that's my ministry. And he, he thanks them for coming. What a ministry. He cares for them. But two days ago when I visited him, he said, I think God's given me a prayer ministry to pray for people. And so, again, what, what is God calling you to do? Well, the next part I want to mention is uh, on your table, you have a little brochure that I'm involved in the hiding place when I was with CLC. Uh, God gave the vision for this 12-bedroom facility that's 50 miles from here, and uh, I mean we've just purchased it, and so I'm not raising funds, so don't worry about that. But I, I want to share this with you because my passion is like when I went away on the Young Life Camp and got out of the current and met with buddies and had fun and uh, and got focused on God. Uh, great things happen when people get out of the current, so you could have a ministry of taking, it has 18 beds or 12 couples, and to have a ministry to couples or men. And one of the, my favorite ministers, a guy named David Guthrie and Nancy Guthrie, they have four retreats a year, and they take parents up there that have lost a child, and they've lost two children. They help them process that. So God could use you with men or couples, father, son, mother, daughter, 
So I just want to mention that you can have a ministry and this place is available called the hiding place and that's, that's, that's what I'm doing uh, these days, the main thing. But I want to come back to my passion for Christ is that I also have a passion for, uh, for men to really walk with Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus. That, that's, that's a burden of mine. I, I, I really hurt. And, and I want to read a couple of verses that, that I think about, and I think probably you have some burden on this as well. But when I think about these verses, this one, Matt, Billy Graham said this is the hardest verse for him in all of Scripture. He says, this is Matthew, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who, who does the will of my Father in heaven. And I think that will is to love him, to know him, trust him, obey him, worship him. Only the one that does the will of my Father. See, that's a real engaged relationship with God. It says, and this, this, this what gets my attention with somebody. Is many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we, didn't we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I'm thinking, I'm not sure I've been involved in prophecy or demon and driven out or miracles. But then he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Didn't say I knew you for a little while. Said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So you see why Billy Graham says, wow. Well, that, as I look at that, and you know, we live in the South, and it's kind of the right nice thing to do is to say I'm a Christian. Well, I think Jesus is saying, this is pretty radical. I'm calling you to really have a deep love relationship with me. And then this one really gets my attention, too. It says in Luke, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me. So, again, if anyone comes to me, your friends, my friends, and does not hate his father and mother. Now, wait a minute. I know a lot of men struggle with their dad. They have a father wound. So we'll give a little break there. But to hate their mother, I don't know many people I've ever heard. I don't think I've ever met a person hate their mother. But you see, if you don't hate your mother and your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters, and the hate there doesn't mean to literally hate them. It means your love and your pursuit of Jesus is so great that it look, it look, in comparison, it looks like you're hating them. That's, that's pretty radical commitment. Then it goes on and says, it said, you got to hate your mother, brother, sister, so forth. Yes, even your own life. Wow. It says, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So again, it, it's, this is radical. It's, it's not a warm, fuzzy. It's, it's more than showing up at an event like church or giving or whatever. This is a life connected with the life, with Christ's life. And one more, and I quit with this. And this is, this, 
this is the gospel is shared in 25 words. You know where that is? John 3:16. We all know that if we watch football. It says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life." So we know that. But the next verses we miss, verse 17 says, "For God did not send his his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him." But verse 18, whoever believes in him, and that's that deep walk, is not condemned. Thank you, Lord, for that. But this and this but, whoever does not believe stands condemned already. That means right now. Because they have not believed in the name of God's son, his only son. So if there's not belief, there's condemnation now and if you think God stuttered that's in verse 18 at verse 36 the last verse in in John 3 John 3 says whoever believes in the son has eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him not going to be put on him at death it's on him now so that that concerns me and, uh, and, and, and I do have a passion to see some of my buddies, some of my family. I have some of my family that are not walking with Jesus. And I love them very much. And that breaks my heart. My number one prayer is for one of my family members to have a walk with Jesus. I did, uh, as I mentioned, I wrote this book. Love to give you one. Oh, love Jesus. That kind of shares my heart. And uh, because I believe that's what life is all about. But it, you take one if you'd like to read it. And uh, But the main deal is ask yourself where we are with Jesus. So, Lord, we come and thank you that you loved us when we all have stuff we've all fallen short of your what you have for us some of us have stuff that far worse than what i did some of us stuff not near as bad as what i did the deal is that all of us need you and as we read those verses we need to be in a walk with you because there's there's real life there's real um, joy that you want to bless us so much you want to be our brother our friend, our shepherd, our advocate, our father. Uh, you want to make us your sons. So may we have the courage to say, I need you, and begin that walk with him. So we love you and bless you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'd love to meet with you one-on-one -on -one sometime if you want to just talk about any of this. I'm... Uh, looking for something to do so uh, thanks for listening you've been listening to the new canaan society podcast for the franklin tennessee chapter if your company is looking to share valuable content with your customers or clients put it into an ebook or a print book hire harrington interactive media to edit and package that book whether digital or print so that it looks professional go to harringtoninteractive.com talk to you soon